Welcome back to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a podcast that is all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God in the ambiguity of the in-between. In this eerily relevant Old Testament text, we find the people of God desperate for security and stability, demanding a king, even though they know he will be bad for them. This story is a provocative image of how judgment is sometimes when God gives us what we want, or what we think we want, and yet even when God's people go against God's wishes, He still uses the very mechanism of kingship He curses to bring the redemption. Enjoy. Thank you. It's really, really good to be here. We're, um, if you want to turn your Bibles and or your electronic devices. We're going to 1 Samuel chapter 8 in just a few moments. Uh, by the way, as you're turning, y'all remember that Cindy Lauper song, I Drove All Night to Get to You? Do you remember that song? Well, that, that's me today. I drove all night to get to you. And I'm glad that I did. It's been an interesting week. I just moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, yeah, thank you, Nashville people. That's great. I mean, like just moved, like the last couple of days from Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I'm in the midst of a lot of transition, and it's just a really sweet gift to get to be here and recharge with some of my favorite people, spend some time with you. I'm going to teach from a text this morning that I've never spoken from before today that I can recall, but just kind of felt right, you know. Um, a lot of churches, uh, kind of more in the liturgical traditions, will use the lectionary, and it happens to be the Old Testament lectionary reading for today, and for a number of reasons, it just felt like uh, where I needed to go. So before we, we go to the text, let's just uh, pray one more time. God, we do love your spirit, and we love the way that your spirit comes among us and, and transforms the atmosphere and allows us to become, I don't know, all these different parts and pieces and uh, that often are fragmented and yet somehow when we come together you turn us into something that's greater than the sum of the parts you turn us into a body into a family and into a community and somehow mysteriously even the body of Christ we don't know how that works but it's such a mystery that we love and so we thank you for the gift of each other we thank you for the gift to be gathered in your presence and just ask you Spirit of God, that you would illuminate your words to us now. I really, I, I just, I, I do feel especially dependent on your, on your grace today for you to grant me and to grant all of us in the words of the Apostle Paul a spirit of revelation. God, not things to be comprehended with the mind, but rather, Lord, things that can only be revealed by the Spirit, things that need to be shown to us. And I pray, Lord, that for... Anything about this message today that's awkward, clunky, just whatever, I just pray, God, for, for, just, for just grace for us to be able to grab a hold of what you want to say to us and to trust you and to trust your spirit and just invite the movement and just, just freedom the, of the Holy Spirit now. Where your spirit is, there is liberty and there is freedom. We welcome your, your freedom in us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We'll go right to the text. 1 Samuel chapter 8, begin with verse 4. All the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel, great prophet, at Ramah, and they said to him, You are old, 
and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. So keep in mind that up until this point that Israel as the people of God has understood God to be their king. And so rather than having kings, they had prophets who would speak for God that would kind of mediate, but ultimately they saw God as their king. What's happening now is that they've got their eyes off of the God of the Exodus who's always on the move, who is a little unpredictable, might feel a little unreliable because that God cannot be contained or controlled or maneuvered. And they see that, hey, everybody else has a king. Isn't it interesting how that works that like at, on every level at every stage of development there's always something someone else says, the other nations have a king having a king is cool we want one too just like we want to be like the other nations but the thing displeased samuel when they said give us a king to govern us and samuel prayed to the lord and the lord said to samuel listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them, just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Now hear that movement there. The Lord, interestingly enough, he says, listen to them, do what they tell you to do. Give the people exactly what they want. But when you give them exactly what they want, warn them that this is not going to go well. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. And he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. And he gives them God's description of who this king is going to be what he's going to be like, the character of the king. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Look, God's, uh, God's going to let you have the king. You can have a king. He's going to be awful. He's going to take your sons and daughters. He's going to take your land. He's going to absolutely plunder you entirely for his own selfish gain. And of course, the people say, okay, cool. We still want him. <laughs> but the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said no. But we are determined to have a king over us so that we may also be like other nations. They've got their eye on the other nations. They're thinking about national security. We want to be safe. Being safe, having a sense of order, having a sense of control, having a sense of being in charge of our own destiny is more important to them than 
than anything else. That our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. That's ultimately what they care about. And they feel like having a king is going to make them safe. What I see consistently happen over and over, right? In my life, lives of others, we see it in the way the world works, is that when people are driven by fear and insecurity, that desire to have a sense of control, that desire to have a sense of order, innocent as it might seem, the people of God here are looking at these other nations who are coming alongside, and they've got their kings and their leaders and their military. Hey, we've got to beef this thing up. We've got to be ready in case there's a time of war. And this desire for security, this desire to try to get our hands around a thing, to have a sense of order and control, so often leads to all kinds of evil and chaos. Now, I didn't do this so much in the first service, but it dawned on me I probably should, between services, uh, maybe flesh this out a little bit more. What does this look like for Israel? I mean, well, keep in mind that uh, what this is going to lead to, of course, is the anointing of King Saul. As previously mentioned, he is tall. But the thing about Saul that has always been interesting to me, I've always found Saul to be a, a kind of a sympathetic character in one way because there's nothing about Saul from his origin that seems especially evil. Like, you don't get the sense that this is an intrinsically evil person. What you do get the sense about Saul is that from the very beginning, he's really, he's really attuned to the voice of the crowd. Uh, he's very aware of what other people are saying about him. And whereas David, who will become king later, is really formed in the obscurity of being in the field where he learns how to listen to God's voice, Saul is sort of brought up in the adjuration and adulation of the crowds in a way that skews him. He needs it too much. He's not evil, he's insecure. And unfortunately, for all practical intents and purposes, that doesn't make that much of a difference because insecure people end up doing... I'm preaching right now, and I'm kind of surprised by it. At this point in the message, I thought I was still ramping up. Insecure people do deeply evil things. Insecure people do the most evil things. Not because they're intrinsically so wicked, but because that's just what happens. When your whole life is about comparison and sizing up the competition and needing to be right, and needing to be strong, and needing to appear strong, bad things just happen. It's just the order of the day. What, do we, what is the essential conflict between David and Saul? Well, because one day, Saul, instead of the great you know, top ten singles that had all been about how awesome King Saul is, now there's a new song that's going around the camp, and it's especially popular with the ladies. And the lyrics, I'm not making this up, the chorus to the song, the hook is that Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And that ego need, that insecurity inside of Saul, that need for the approval and adoration of people drives him absolutely insane. Such a fine line between that kind of insecurity and need and, 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 and almost, well, you see that with Saul, a, a, kind, of, uh, a kind of demonization. It's like he's, he, he, he's, he's possessed, he's compulsive 
because he needs the approval of the crowd too much. And by the, you know, by the end of all this, he's throwing spears at David and he's acting more and more erratically. And that, that insecurity and that instability that comes from that ego need, all that pride, causes him to, to be a very, very dangerous person. And of course, everyone here understands this is just an old story in the book. There are no patterns like this that continue to occur in history. This only happened the one time, right? I mean, we, we, can't, we, we can't even imagine parallels. I can't even begin to. Saul is dangerous because he's so needy in all the wrong ways. He is the people's choice and the people's champion. The trouble is, and this is where I really want to put some weight down, is that in general as a species, especially when we're kind of in a mob, when we're in a crowd, we really don't know what's good for us. We really don't. We really don't. And if it is true, and if even if on some level as individuals, you know, we're capable of being reasonable and rational. There's something about when the mob gets together. Even this scene somehow hits me kind of funny this morning because... Samuel's the most respected man in all of Israel. I mean, everybody reveres him. And even if his sons are not doing awesome, they, they do essentially still believe that Samuel is the prophet of God. And so Samuel's getting up in front of everybody and saying, hey, I've got a word from the Lord. The king that y'all's going to get is going to be awful. And he, he's going to screw up everything. And he, he's going to desecrate your sons and daughters. It's going to be the worst possible thing. Yep. We still want that person, but thanks so much for sharing that word. You know, like it's still like they're just the kind of mob mentality and that's driven out of insecurity and fear. That's, that's what happens is that people in packs do strange and unhelpful things because fear is what drives and motivates. So, so what happens here? And th this is the dynamic I want to get into, and I feel like, man, this is such a, a strange message in some way, but I hope this is helpful for somebody. I'm thinking about this, I'm just thinking a lot right now about this whole thing of judgment and how God judges, because, you know, I, I grew up in a context where I had, I think, now I would say sort of an unhealthy fear of God, a terror of God, in which most every decision in my life was motivated by concerned to not be, you know, basically pan-fried in a skillet for millions and millions of years, you know, so that, which is quite a motivation to want to, to be good and do the right thing, and there was such, there was just such fear there, and in my mind, you know, I kind of thought of God as, as, as the police who enforces the rules, the way I put it sometimes now, kind of the karma police, making sure that what goes around comes around, you know, that people get what they deserve, reap what they sow, so that in addition to whatever negative consequences might come out of unhealthy choices and actions, the larger thing is that God's going to be really, really mad and that God's going to come and get you. I, the further I go, the more I really just don't believe that, I don't believe that God is angry, I don't believe that God is a punitive ogre, I don't believe that God is going around making sure people get what they deserve, I don't think that's how it goes. Um, I think actually what judgment looks like is not so much God mad and coming after us and I'm going I'm to make people pay, you made, me, you made me feel hurt and rejected, well now I'm going to show you some hurt. What, it, what judgment looks more like in real life is God actually often in a very gentle way saying, 
all right, you said this is what you want. Here you go. You can have that. If that's what you choose, you can have it. Because this God, as good as God is, and as loving as God is, what we see throughout the whole narrative of Scripture is that God is relentlessly committed to human freedom and human choice. He doesn't make anybody do anything without their consent. So if this is what you choose, then you can have it. And then what happens is we have to live with our choices. We have to live, we have to live with that. You know, um, the way I think about it these days is that sin, which are a lot of different ways we can think about sin and talk about sin, but for me at least, sin is fundamentally selfishness. I mean, if we think about if, if the, really the law of God, and this is what becomes so clear, of course, through Jesus, if ultimately the summation of the law is that we're supposed to love God with everything we have and we're supposed to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, then what sin ultimately is selfishness. It is choosing um, what, what we think is going to be best for us, uh, for ourselves as an individual, over the good of the community, over the good of other people around us. Sin is really all about selfishness in that way. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't take God as kind of the karma police enforcing for that to work. It's, it's much more like a law of nature. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? If you jump off the top of a tall building, you're going to hit concrete. Like that, God does, is not sitting around, you know, having to enforce that, right? That's just kind of how gravity works. And I think that's, I just think that's how it goes. It's a little weird to me now, you know, that for so much of my life, and I really feel like this, I've, it's, take, it's still taking me a long time to deprogram from this, because some of us who grew up in like really moral and kind of moralistic environments, oddly enough, are... I think it's why some of us struggle to like be deeply good people. Because if you think that the only reason that you shouldn't burn everything down is because you yourself might burn, do you hear what like, it's just, I, I, I just meet so, so many Christians sometimes who have been like, like, like sincere folks, but I think the, their mentality is the only thing keeping them uh, back from just utterly like, you know, just do it, just outright debauchery all the time. It's like, well, I just. I, I just wouldn't want to burn. You know, it's just, now it feels like an odd way for me to think. Because it's like that mentality of when you're a kid and you're like, man, I, I want to eat cotton candy all the time. I'll eat cotton candy every day. Well, the remedy that, uh, for that really is to have a day in which you eat nothing but cotton candy. And you will find out that eating cotton candy all day simply does not work. Like, do you hear what I'm saying? That's, that's the thing about fundamentally about a life of sin is that a life bent towards the self ultimately just doesn't work. And if you experiment with this, then you find out at some point, oh, if you're paying attention, well, this, this, this just doesn't work. It's not that God is mad or angry or whatever else. It's just a life bent towards sin doesn't work. And God, in his mercy and in his kindness, there is a way that God says, okay, you, you, you can choose this. You're allowed to choose things that aren't good for you. I don't know if anybody, I thought about that actually on the drive here, about how there really was a time in my life when I think I thought that God was so sovereign and so strong that if I wanted to do something I really wasn't supposed to do, that, you know, God would stop me from doing it. Has anybody found out that that is not how it works? Like, I'll just, like, I'll just look up and like, 
if you really don't want me to do this, then you will stop me. Not necessarily how it works, right? Like, like, like we get to choose stuff. We get to do this. So on the one hand, and that, I feel like they're really, they're, um, this is almost two messages in one, but I feel like both parts are significant. Uh, the, the front half of that is that it's a, it's a sobering word, that we have to be really thoughtful and deliberate and cautious about the decisions that we make, about whether or not we really are loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, about the kind of consequences that um, living out of a sense of fear and insecurity and that desire for control, what that can have for our world. Like, we as the body of Christ need to be reflective about that. We, need, we, we really do. Because I think what often happens... I don't know if I've ever said this quite this way in my life, but it feels like I, I, I feel like I need to say it this way before. I think sometimes bad things happen in the world, and don't get me wrong, you know, like natural disasters, whatever, bad things happen to good people. I don't think everything like that is somehow like this direct judgment from God. But I just think a lot of things that happen in the world, we end up sort of blaming on the judgment of God. And it's like, oh, you know, yeah, actually God is not doing that. We're doing that. <laughs> no, that's not God. That's not what God is doing. That's what, that's what we are doing, you know. Uh, man, I just, like, I just think we, all of us are in a world with so much injustice and greed and racism and so many things that are just fundamentally bent out of shape. So often we're just not able to be honest enough to look ourselves in the mirror and see, like, this is the world that we are creating. It's weird sometimes to me when people in the body of Christ are resistant to this message, because for me it's 101. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. God sent Jesus of Nazareth, but you crucified him. Now God has raised him from the dead. Like The message is, you are all complicit in this love-denying, God-crucifying kind of world. Like We play a part in it, and we play a part in it, and so I think I'm convinced in many ways that aren't even conscious. They're like, we, we all play a role in this. And then, I don't know, I just think we, we get the natural consequences of those actions, and some of us think, like, boy, well, well God is really judging us. Like, God is just letting us have what we, what we chose. <laughs> and some of these things that, you know, that are playing out in a certain way, like, this is, this is the world that many of us have created. Like, this, I don't know if anybody's hearing me right now on my... Am I utterly alone? I'm not sure. Like, I don't know if this is... Like, no, I, th th these are things that, that we're doing, not, not things that God are doing. But there is this way that, 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 for me, is so sobering that God will give us what we want almost to a fault. We get to make choices. He does not choose for us. That part of it is, is sobering. But then there's the, there's the second part of the text that... I got to thinking about and wrestling with that I just thought was so intriguing. Like, so I, I get the word of warning, and I understand that Israel, out of this place of insecurity and kind of uh, they got a little king envy going on, right? I understand that this leads them to some bad places. But I'm curious about the fact that the other part of the word of warning is that Samuel says that the time will come when you're going to cry out to God, or God says this to the prophet. The time will come when you're going to realize this is a mistake and you're going to cry out to God. And when you do, he's not going to hear you. 
Well, that's a, that's a word to preach right there. You know what? Y'all are doing this entirely wrong. One day you're going to see the error of your ways and you're going to change your mind. You're going to try to pray and repent. But too bad. Won't matter. God's not going to listen. And that's the end of my message, everybody. Thanks so much. Good to be in Ocala. Take care. Wouldn't that be great? Just walk out the door. Drop the lapel mic. I don't know how that would even work. No, um, because here's, here's my reflection on this, is that God says that, that when you kind of hit the bottom here and you cry out to me, I won't do anything about it. How can I say this? That's not exactly what happens. That's not really how the story works. Like, I mean, to a point, Right, because like especially under King Saul and even under later kings, like there are all these issues and problems, but yet at the same time, right after they get this word of warning, don't have a king, I'm supposed to be your king, this is gonna go bad for you if you do it. God still somehow uses this very broken system and establishment. Now, don't get me wrong, David is a complicated cat, right? He's a complicated character. But I think in the grand, you know, scope of you know, the narrative, we'd say, David's a good king. He tries to do the right thing. Man after God's own heart, right? Like God uses that. And of course, it's through the line of King David that we get to Jesus. So, so how, how wild is that? If you go this route and it goes bad, don't even talk to me about it because I'm not going to do anything except God does a thing. That's the thing, I'm going to say something to you that's really going to be, I don't know if it's going to be profound, it may just be button pushing. When, when God says a thing in scripture, I saw those bumper stickers when I was a kid, you know, the whole like, you know, when we had those for a while, like, God says it, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And that's good, right? Because us believing it. Very important. That settles it. God said it. I believe it. That's it. Let's listen. If God said it, if God said it, it is 100% absolutely true in all times and all places, except when it's not. That's the thing. It's always true, except when it's not true. Do I sound like Yoda right now doing some kind of Jedi mind bending? Always true, except when it's not. Because see, when I thought about this, and this, this took me to some places I haven't been in a while. It made me think of some other texts. And I, I feel like I need to point them out to you because I, it would be important that you don't think that, that I'm making this up. I thought about how, um, for example, if you go back in the book of Exodus, and this is a really famous passage, it's um, kind of the hen story for this, the, the, the whole narrative of the Old Testament people of God and the Jews because... God introduces himself to Moses, and this is where God tells Moses, I am, and he announces himself. And, there's, and when God announces who he is, he tells Moses that he's gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he goes on to talk about how um, he will forgive and how he will show mercy and how he will not only show mercy to those who obey him now, but all the way down through the generations, then through your children's, uh, to your children's children, I will show mercy. 
But then that same God says that in the same way that I will show mercy down through the generations, I will also punish down through the generations. And if somebody sins, not only am I going to punish them, but I'll punish their children and I'll punish their children's children. Now we get that in the book of Exodus. And this is not a peripheral text. Like this is central to the story of Scripture. God who announces himself as I am says, I will show mercy and I will show mercy down through the generations for those who fear me. But for those who dishonor me, who disobey, I will punish them on down through the generations. I'm, I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture and this is real teachy this morning. So thank you for being patient with that. But there's a fascinating text in light of this in Jonah chapter 4. And if you recall the prophet Jonah, of course, this is the, the unlikely, unhappy prophet who God calls and sends to the Ninevites, and he's prejudiced against the Ninevites. And there's a, the whole history of kind of ethnic and religious conflict between Jews and Ninevites, and it's the whole deal. And, uh, but in a weird way, Jonah is my favorite prophet, actually, in the Old Testament, because I think he has like an actually kind of an astonishing revelation of the heart of God. Like, I think he gets God and glimpses the heart of God in a way that I think almost nobody else does in the Old Testament. Like, I think he's the prophet who maybe gets God the most. But what makes Jonah so cool to me, and, or, or so intriguing, is that he gets God in a very different way. He has all this revelation, and he's mad about it. Like, he sees things that nobody else have quite been able to see, but it's not a gift to him. He's extremely angry. Jonah 4, beginning with verse 1. God's been talking to Jonah about the Ninevites. And for Jonah, God is going back on his word because the Ninevites are the kind of people that he's already said he's going to curse. And Jonah is standing on the promises of God right here. They're, they're the bad guys. You said they were the bad guys. They, they, they have mistreated your people. I'm one of your people. My people are your people. They are not our people. And now God, you, nope, nope, you, can't, you can't go back on that. This is your word. Let me just, not just paraphrase. Jonah 4, verse 1. This was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. And verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said? <laughs> I love this attitude here. Is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Didn't I tell you about this before I even left? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. This is why I ran. This is, of course, how he ends up in the story in the belly of the well. This is the very thing I tried to tell you, God, from the beginning. And this is what he says. Watch it. Because if you go back and read that famous text in Exodus... He uses the exact same language. He is actually quoting this verbatim. That's significant. Verbatim, he begins to quote what God says to Moses in Exodus. For I knew that you are, quote, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And now Jonah is getting to the part in quoting it He's getting to his favorite part of the text. Because Jonah, 
who still has bitterness in his heart towards his enemies and who believes, like most of us do, that his enemies are the enemies of God. Isn't it convenient how that works? The people I most dislike, the people who most offend me, it's not I who am offended. I am offended on behalf of God. Because conveniently, God is very unhappy with the same people who I am most unhappy with. Righteous indignation. He's got scripture to back this up. I mean, he's building the crescendo. This is the part where, as he's quoting, he should be able to go right over to to, to, to the whole spiel about punishment. And yet watch what happens. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger. See, like Jonah. You see that discontent right there? This, like, that. I knew this would be an unpopular word. I knew that some people would not be able to receive this message this morning. That's awful. I'm just kidding. You're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And then listen to this and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Do you hear what I'm reading to you right now? Jonah is saying, through clenched teeth, I knew you were like this all along. I heard the verses in the Bible, memorized it, and the, the verses say that you are equal parts mercy and punishment. But I knew all along what you were really about was the mercy. I knew that's what you were serious about. I knew you were going to relent from punishing. Do you hear the subtext there? You said you were going to, but now you're going to relent. And he's angry about it. This is why I say that whatever God says in Scripture, absolutely 100% true all the time in every place in every way, except when it's not. (laughs) That's not the only place that this happens. And don't get me wrong, I have a lot of thoughts about judgment. That could be another, it could be a whole other sermon. Jesus in Matthew 25 talking about sheep and goats. Interesting how in a lot of churches I grew up in, we didn't talk about that one much because... (laughs) The way we judge people was on whether or not they said the sinner's prayer. If you said it, you're in. If you didn't say it, you're out. Jesus' parable basically says that the sheep and goats are separated in the end based on how they treat the poor and the least of these. And that didn't fit into our theology, so we just didn't talk about that one, right? There are a lot of things we do that with, but another story for another time. I am meddling in this service today. Thanks for letting me have, have a good time. Yeah, I'm awake by this service, aren't I? So... Another text that this happens that I think is especially profound and kind of wonderful. So you, Isaiah 61 is, is such a climactic text, also in the prophets. And of course, this is a text that's of special importance to Jesus and to the ministry of Jesus. And the prophet Isaiah writes in these epic words from chapter 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and listen to this, and the day of vengeance of our God, 
That's what Isaiah 61 says. And keep in mind that like in Hebrew, as it is in Greek in the New Testament, there aren't verse numbers here. You do understand verses, verse numbers are not divinely inspired. Those were added much later. That's not, there's not natively in the text. It's all a complete thought. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Set free the captive, sight to the blind. Uh, this is the whole agenda. There's the, the, the year of Jubilee, the year of God's favor is at hand. And the day of vengeance of our God. So in Luke chapter 4, which anybody sees this as kind of being the moment really where Jesus fully steps into his calling, where Jesus begins to, he's been baptized now by John, he's, he's fully owning his mission. Like this is where Jesus for the first time directly kind of connects himself with the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. We know this because people want to kill him for it. They're very upset that Jesus is doing this. Jesus sits down in the temple and he reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And this is what Jesus reads. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And just like Jonah, when he's rehearsing his favorite part of Exodus, and he gets to the line about punishment, and then he says, relent from punishing, you can almost feel it in the crowd, the way that um, some of the folks who had been around for a while and understandably, keep in mind, these are uh, they're very, like, these are a, an, an oppressed people. There are all kind of reasons to feel this way. But you've got to think some of the old-timers, they're hearing Jesus read this. And they're, and they're just waiting for Jesus to say, and the day of vengeance of our God. Don't forget that part. You know, that's what they always say about grace preachers, is that they leave stuff out. Don't leave this thing out. And this is what happens in Luke 4. Jesus reads this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and just before and the day of vengeance of our God, this is exactly what the text said. Jesus rolled up the scroll and he sat down. That, my friends, is the ancient Middle Eastern version of the mic drop. <laughs> Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Preach the gospel to the poor. Liberty to the captives. Proclaim the year of God's favor. And then rolls it up and sits down. Can you imagine the kinds of things that people were saying about that? Why don't you want to talk about the negative part, son? Again, that's the trouble with grace preachers. They're always, they're always leaving stuff out. But something is happening here. What, what, what's the statement? What's the idea? That in Jesus, in Jesus, that God has closed the scroll. God has closed the book on vengeance in Christ. God, God has shut that chapter down. I'm not sure if you're aware of this thing called the cross. Maybe you've never heard of this before. That's actually what that's about is that God has closed the book on judgment. And because now in Christ, the day of vengeance has already been closed up, the only message that God has to the world now is the message embodied in His Son, who on the cross 
while being tortured and killed, still says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. That's God's entire word to the world. Jesus is God's word to the world. Yeah, see, I feel like this is really important because to me, none of this is peripheral at all. I mean, I don't know if it seemed you know, cute or whatever, the whole deal in the beginning about how we understand how punishment works and sin and, and how God judges. All these things for me are so important because it gets to the heart of the character of God and who God is. And what I find consistently is even and perhaps especially people within the church are still fundamentally confused on the character of God. Because they don't understand that Jesus is the final word. They understand the ways in which sometimes that, uh, that Jesus has, has rolled back up the scroll. And, and, and so I, I, let me say this like in its most kind of crass way. So it's like we're 50% judges and 50% Jesus. Because when we have bad guys that we really like and, and we've got chapter and verse for it then we, and we feel good about it, judges for them. But like when we need mercy, Jesus for us. I'll give you Leviticus, we'll take Romans. Do you hear what I'm saying? <laughs> bless, your, bless your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that, that's nice. That's good. But you know, in Judges, God kills some folk. And I got some folk that need to be wiped out. So today is a Judges kind of day. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like this, this stuff matters right here. <laughs> So in this wild, winding message in which the first half we talked about, there are real consequences to our actions in the world, and it's sobering, and I think we got to reflect, and I think that's so important. It felt so important for me not to end the story there, because that's really not where the story ends. That even though God says through Samuel, if this, not if, when this thing goes bad, you call out to me, I'm not going to answer or hear you. God actually does still answer in here. And through this very thing, and that is the genius of God, isn't it? That through this very thing, this mechanism of kingship in the Old Testament, right? That like God says, this is a broken system. You shouldn't do this. You should let me be king. That God uses that very same mechanism and system to then give them a good king, through whose lineage, through David's lineage, is going to come Christ in the world. Whoa. Like, is that setting anybody else's brain on fire? Don't do this. Don't do this. If you do it, it's going to screw everything up. I won't bless it, and I won't help you. All right. Well, you did it that way. Okay. Okay. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to use this stupid choice that you made. Wow. But my brain's on fire, at least right now. I will even use this stupid choice that you made to somehow bring that around to bring you hope and to bring grace and to bring blessing. Wow. Even those things, even those things. That for me is the brilliance of our God is that there's nothing that he cannot use. There's nothing that he won't use. There's nothing that he won't repurpose. The stuff that God is able to recycle. I mean, it just it just blows my mind. So, so how, 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 how good is this God? That even when you do like directly the absolute wrong thing, the absolute wrong thing, that God is able even to turn those things around 
into a story of grace, a story of mercy, a story of God's faithfulness? I, I, don't, I don't even understand how that works. Obviously, the point is not go out and do crazy, destructive things, and God's, you know, of course, that's not the idea, right? Like, I, it would, it's better to not eat all the cotton candy. Of course, I would love to, like, I would love to keep you from eating cotton candy every day because it's not good for you. I'm just not going to build a whole religion out of it. Do you hear what I'm saying? The heart of the message is not don't go eat cotton candy. The heart of the message is that I don't even know what I'm saying right now. Am I delirious? Is this lack of sleep? The heart of the message is that this God is so good and so great. Like anybody who calls out to this God from any time, from any place, there's always hope. There's always a second chance. There's always something innovative God can do. And if you think, um, I, I'm not trying to say these things in the most provocative way possible, but I, I've given you lots of scripture now, so I think I'm, I think I'm just going to say it like I feel like saying it. E- even God's word doesn't keep God from doing what God wants to do. <laughs> I know you're nervous. I'm nervous about it too. When I, in my word of faith years, we talked about like binding God to his word. Well, you said in your word, I'm binding yeah, you try that, y'all. I'm going to tell you you, you, don't, you may not want to try to bind him. He's not bindable. He's not bindable. And, uh, and, 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 and how about like God in the Old Testament? I'm going to wipe everybody out. And Moses pleads and intercedes. Do with this theologically what you will. But the text says, I'm going to change my mind. My that, that, for me, is why it's so important. I know I'm saying a lot of things. And I'm preaching to myself, and I'm having a good time. But, I, it's so, <laughs> but that, for me, is why it's so important that, that Jesus is the center of our faith, that Jesus, we understand, to be the full and complete Word of God. He is, in the words of Colossians, the image of the invisible God, or in the words of Hebrews, the exact imprint of who God is like he he is the full revelation of God and it's why it becomes so important there that that, that everything that we come to believe about who God is and how God works in the church and the world and all this kind of things is centered and grounded in what we know to be true about Jesus because Jesus is God's final word Jesus is God's final word I'm just trying to help somebody because some of you still feel like you've got a schizophrenic dad and it's like some kind of a crazy, weird, alcoholic family where it's like, well, you know, Jesus is my elder brother and he loves me, but my father's mad at me and he wants to beat me. And some days I might come home and get grace and other days he might just decide to kick me and kick the dog because you hear what I'm saying? Like so many of us are there and I just want, I just, ooh, just, just would love to relieve you of all that. Like the the whole idea of the word of God revealed in Jesus is that this is who God is and who God has always been. This is who God has always been. We didn't always fully comprehend this, but now we're able to see it in Christ. And finally, I, I, I'm done. I'm saying this, though. I think we, the, the invitation in this moment, the invitation in this moment is that we are living in a challenging time, to say the least. When I say challenging there, that's code for crazy. This is a crazy time. I don't, I just feel like it's a crazy time. I don't feel like that's an especially political thing to say. I just think like, can we get some consensus on that it's a crazy time? Like it's just, it's just a weird time. 
And nobody knows what to do with it because it's just, it's just that weird. <laughs> and I am convinced that in many ways that the world that we have is the world that we've created. I am convinced that in many ways that, 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 that our, our wars, our violence, our conflicts, our lack of love, our greed, all of these things, it's just, our, just us pursuing our own selfish desires running amok. Of course, in a lot of ways, it's what we've produced. And yet, what a marvelous word, right? That even when that's the case, and even for the things that we've built that are broken, that doesn't have to be the final word. That God is still able to, to, to turn things around, to turn us around, that there are new possibilities that are that, 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 that can be created, even right in the middle of that, of that disobedience. Don't get a king. We're, we want a king. Okay. So now God figures out a way to leverage this weird king thing and like, well, well fine, fine. And, and sends Jesus. And still to this day, we celebrate Jesus as, as kind of the rightful heir to the throne of David. Who but God is able to pull all this off? That's why I'm not really pulling off the sermon so much right now, because I'm not, even, I'm not able to pull this off. Like it's, this is God we're talking about here. We're all the, you're right, like the only one in whom all the contradictions are solved. Stand up, because I'll keep talking if you don't. And I need to be done. Man, man, I'm feeling this one this morning. It's, uh, we're, I know we're going to come to the Lord's table in just a few moments. And by the way, let me tell you how much I love, I love that because in a time where so many of us don't feel grounded and really nothing in the world feels especially grounded, there's nothing like the Lord's table week after week yeah. to remind us of what's essential and what's true. We are broken, dependent beings who come with hands open to receive the body and blood of Christ's sacrifice for us. Now God sends us out to be his body, broken, blessed, and distributed for the world. Whole story. That part's simple. A lot of things we don't know. A lot of things we don't understand. What we do understand is that we're needy, we're broken, we're dependent, and that now God wants to use us to meet needs in the world. That, that part can be clear. Let me pray for us. Lord, I just ask this morning, and I feel... Um, I feel some heat on the throw on this particular, just this particular kind of person. God, I want to pray for sons and daughters here who, who are still struggling because they, they're, they're living under the weight of past choices that maybe legitimately were bad choices, and there's shame that's attached to that, and there's still parts of themselves or of their story they feel like they can't, they, can't even, they can't even tell the truth about. Some things about our testimony we just want to bury because we just assume that, that, that there are some things that are so broken or so awful that, uh, that, that, there's, that there's nothing you could do with that. And I, I just thank you, Father, that even in the moments of our most profound stupidity and disobedience that there is nothing that you can't turn around there's nothing you can't redeem you are in, we are endlessly creative at making messes and you are endlessly creative at bringing new life out of those very same messes so god i just pray this morning 
we sung about this morning for just a wave of, of grace and mercy just to flow in this, in this space. And I just, I, I don't want to rush past this moment too quickly. I'm not going to engineer the whole thing. There's no, besides when we come to the table, there's no altar invitation. But I just want to encourage you. If the Lord is, if, 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 he, if the Holy Spirit's dealing with you right now, maybe even just to lift your hands away of sacrifice and surrender like that, wherever there's shame right now, can you just, can you just give that up? Where there's still that little bit of fear that maybe... <laughs> that God has rejected you or that God will reject you, could you just, could you just yield that and give it up and just this morning just, just receive His favor and His mercy and, and just, just hear that word this morning that um, that book of vengeance has been closed. This is the only thing that, that's available in this place, in this house, is, is mercy. That, that's, all, that's all we've got for you here. There's mercy. There's mercy. There's mercy. There's mercy. There's more than enough. There's no shortage. Some of you are still living from a place of, of mercy scarcity. <laughs> Grace poverty. And there is an abundance. There's more than enough to go around for each of us and for the world. So God, I just pray that even as we get ready to come to the table this morning, that you would um, just prepare our hearts to be able to receive that miracle, God that no matter who we are or where we come from, there is grace in this meal that we can taste, like tangible, tasteable evidence that you are with us and that you are for us. We pray that you would make us ready now. I want us to, um, I'm going to lead us to the Lord's table, so if, I don't know if anybody needs to come and make the elements ready. But I want to take just a moment here just to do a short liturgy with you. Because here's the fact of the matter, and if this message felt a little weird to you, I think this is part of one of the tensions that we're dealing with, right? Is that there is a real way, you know, that um, though God is merciful and God is so good and God is so faithful, yeah, uh, our, our, our choices have consequences and sin does fracture and disrupt. And there's so many ways, even since we've gathered and done this last, that our hearts have got out of alignment with love, out of alignment with God's Spirit. So we take a moment before we come just to get that out in the open into the presence of the one who we know already forgives us and we humbly confess our sins unto Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved You with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of Your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And now, church, would you just receive that forgiveness? Just receive it. Not, not in my words, but the words of Christ himself. You are forgiven. You are clean. You are whole. You are loved. You are accepted. You are seen. You are known 
just drink that up right now. Just even before you drink from the cup, just, just drink it up right now. His love, His grace, His mercy. But now we come to that, that moment where we remember the night that Jesus sat around a table with His closest group of friends. And He looked eyeball to eyeball with the men who were about to flee the scene of His crucifixion. And he looked across the table from Judas who had already betrayed him. And he looked across the table from Peter who was about to go out and deny him. And looking at, in the faces of his friends who he knew were destined to disappoint him and leave him in the lurch, he spread this table and he offered this meal to his friends. He offered this meal to them in their brokenness. He offered this meal to them even knowing that they were going to fail the test because he knew that ultimately this meal, this meal was going to then be the, the gift that his body, that his church would bring to the, to the whole world of how God works through broken things, through broken bread. So in the spirit of that now, Lord, we just ask, God, would you sanctify these elements and you would allow this bread and this juice to become for us the body and blood of Christ. And God, we ask that you would sanctify ourselves also. Consecrate us and purify us that we might become Christ's broken, broken body for the world. In the same way that his brokenness has bought our healing, we pray, God, you would use our brokenness for the healing of others. In the same way that his blood has been poured out for our salvation and our wholeness, Lord, may our lives become a drink offering that is poured out for the people around us who are in need of your love. I pray that this meal would bring healing to those who need healing, grace for those that need grace, but for all of us, let this be strength now for the journey. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And finally, this simple invitation. This is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love Him and for those who want to love Him more. So come, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long. Come, you who have tried and you who have failed. Come, because it is the Lord's will that all who want Him meet Him here. This is not a meal for the righteous. This is a meal for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if you want him, you should come and meet him here now. Let's come to the table of the Lord. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Like an LP, each episode is divided into side A and side B. Side A could be a sermon, a conversation with a guest, but will always introduce some idea. Side B will always be a creative exploration of that idea through music, question answering with listeners, or quirky rabbit trails off of Side A for people who want the deep cuts, not just the singles. No matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will be a resource in helping you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. For more, go to jonathanmartinwords.com and sign up for our email list. Have a good day.